0: And how many are read to get into the Word this morning? We're going to get back to basics. That's where we are at. We're in the Back to Basics series this morning. Carol, could you do me one favor and just kind of turn off this light here? Just that one light. There you go. Perfect. Back to basics. If we were to go to the FCA website, FCA means Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. It's what we're a part of in this church. If we were to go there, we would see what we believe. And it it would read this. Part of what we believe is we believe in a lifestyle and practice of ethical conduct and integrity consistent with the character of Jesus Christ and biblical standards. Say integrity. Say ethical conduct. How many of you want to live in the integrity of Jesus? Romans 12, verse 1, says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, not extended, but a reasonable service. As a Christian, as a believer, this is our reasonable service, that we would live, that we would be a a living sacrifice, that we would be holy, acceptable to God. What does that mean? How can we be a living sacrifice? I love how the message version paraphrases this. It says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and you place it before God as an offering. In everything we do, we give it to God. Amen? That's a tough mission, considered how wrapped up we are in ourselves. It's a tough mission, because honestly, we get wrapped up in our days. How many know there's busy days, right? You wake up in the morning, everything is busy. Kids are yelling at you, get the cereal, do this, do that. You get the kids off, you go to work, it's busy at work, you come home, you make dinner, you do laundry, pretty soon you go to bed, everything is busy, you wake up the next day, do it again. That's life, right? That's the busyness of life. I'll I think about, just for a minute, think about your days this last week. How filled were your days? How many had really filling days this last week? Right? Just uh, filled, just all, how busy were they? What was your week like? How many times can, uh, can we admit, as believers, just as brothers and sisters in Christ, how many times do we wake up, sun up to sundown? And in the busyness of our life, we fail to present ourselves to God. Just in the busyness of life, we just fail to go, God, let it be about you today. Paul says, I beseech you, I plead with you, I urge you, with an understanding that it's only the mercy of God, present yourself to him in all you do. Present yourself to him in all you do as, his, as holy and Righteous. So, Lord, it's only by your blood that I'm made righteous, right? Now, how many know it's only by his blood that we're made righteous? I present myself, and I present my work to you today. So in the morning, you wake up, and you get the kids ready, and you do what you got to do, and it's hectic, and it's chaos, and I get that. But then you get in your car, and you're on your way to work, and you may only have a few minutes. And in that few minutes, you say, Lord, I present myself to you today. That's an interesting uh, sidebar. I was just talking about this, actually. Uh, I remember when I was working at, I, was, I used to sell cars. I worked for Honda in Georgia and in Indiana. And I only saw it as a job. And honestly, most of the time I felt down in the dumps about it. I thought, man, this is a job. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm meant to be, I'm meant to be a minister. I'm, meant to call, I'm called to preach. And one day I had a conversation with a man in the business that was a good Christian guy. And I'm talking to him about my frustrations. I'm I'm saying, man, something's got to change. And he said something that I knew, but I needed reminding of. I wasn't there just to sell cars. I wasn't there just to move metal. I was there to minister to people. No matter what job you have, you're not there just to do that job. You're not there just to work at the gas station or there to work at the farm. Or there to, you're there to minister to people. And I'll tell you, when you, tell, when you said that to me, something shifted in me. As much as, as, a, as I wanted to pastor somewhere, and I did, and I do, and I'm glad, I was determined to minister to my customers in the best way that I could. And I wasn't always successful because, let's face it, how I many of you know, we, sometimes we have off days? Anybody have an off day? You you bunch of liars. Everyone's has been off days sometimes, right? Come on. But it began to blow my mind how when I presented my day to God, how when I presented my service to the Lord, how he began to use me and minister to people that I came across. So I would ask people if I could pray over their car. I'd, do, I, I'd sell them the car and say, can I pray over this car? And while I'm at it, can I pray over you? They give me a weird look. Pray over your God. Yeah, I pray that God blesses you. It gets you from point A to point B. Gotta get to your job, gotta get to your vacation, do what you gotta do. I pray that you're blessed it. I pray that there's no accidents in it. I pray some stupid deer doesn't jump out at you and do you know I, I pray over you, I pray over that. So one day a customer comes in. Some people are receptive to prayer, some people aren't. Customer comes in and says, I want to see a manager. How many of ever met a person like this? Right? He says, I want to see a manager. He's a very angry man started screaming at the receptionist uh, at the time, was very nice, and said, uh, what manager would you like to see? Because we had like five different managers. He says, just get me a manager now. Screaming at her. I saw this kind of take place, and I'm, you know, I'm usually one of my own business, but this day I didn't. And so I, I, I went up and I said, excuse me, number one, you don't talk to her like that. Number two, are you okay? He goes, what's the matter to you? I go, come on, let's go outside. So I take him outside. He follows me outside. I said, sir, it seems like you have no joy in your life. And I'd like to talk to you about the joy that is Jesus Christ. He panicked. He jumped in his car and took off. I never saw him again. Some people are receptive to it, right? Some people are not. Some people you just go, Listen, you were walking, you were talking with him. You know, if I if I came up to Matt, let's just say Matt was this random guy, and I come up to Matt and I say, Matt, you know, I mean it looked you're having a rough day. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Matt might panic and take off, right? So you got to be able to read the people, right? But maybe I'll come to Matt and just say, hey, Matt, man, it's good to see you. And when I have my hand on his shoulder, I pray over him. Because right now he's not receptive, but maybe tomorrow he is. Hey, Matt, can I talk to you about Jesus? Oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. That's all right, man. Have a good day. I'll talk to you later. And while you're here, just pray over him. Amen? Hey, Amen. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, use me. Lord, in everything I do, use me. Why does this matter? Why is it relevant? Whatever you're doing, do for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Pastor, I'm just in a, I'm in a going a nowhere job. I'm so frustrated I could spit. Stop seeing it as just a job, and you start seeing it as your service towards the Lord. Because the truth is, that's not your job, that's your mission field. Amen? That is not your job. That's your mission field. You. Present your work to the Lord, and He will fulfill you in wherever He leads you. I understand. How many of you know some jobs are crummy, right, Jonathan? How many of you know some jobs just stink? Oh yeah, right. Bible says this in Luke 16:10. It says, "If you are faithful in little things, He'll make you really over much." So we don't depend on our charm and our charisma. We depend on his mercies, amen? We don't depend on our talents all the time and our strengths. We we depend on his strength. They are new every morning, amen? Romans 12, verse 2 says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed. We are called to be transformed by the Word of God. The message says it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. You're transformed from the inside out. How easy is it to just go with the flow? How easy is it just in culture just to go with the flow, right? I want to remind you of something this morning. First John 2, 15-17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, or the pride of life, is not from the Father, it is from the world. And The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of of God or of the Father abides forever. Another way uh, of saying this was made popular. How many of you know who Gene Reeves is? Some people know who Gene Reeves is. Made popular many years ago. He said this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I know the song? My treasure is all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We need to stop letting culture in this world dictate our faith and tell us how to live it out. Amen? Don't be transf... Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? How do we renew our minds? We pray. We take those few precious minutes that we have alone and spend it in the Word of God. Spend it in prayer. We meditate on His promises. We turn off distractions. We turn off the TV. We turn off the football game. We turn off the radio. We turn those things off because sometimes those are just distractions. And we say, Lord, speak to us. We allow Him to renew our minds by fellowshipping with His presence. That's how our minds are renewed. So to live in this world with the character and integrity of Jesus means living with the preparation of leaving it, having done all you can for the gospel. We want to leave this world having done all we can in His purpose and in His will. To live with the conduct of Christ means that while we are here, we are careful to avoid that which is evil. Galatians 5:19 through 21 says this. The acts, of the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Say obvious. It's obvious. This is just, it's made plain. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's tough talk. Now, I'm not going to spend the rest of the sermon beating a horse that's already beaten, right? We've we've, we've beaten this horse many times. But remember that this is back to basics. And sometimes we need a basic reminder of what is sin. We need a basic reminder. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. Somebody say amen. And by the way, I want to say it this way. Just because something is legal does not make it moral, ethical, or biblical. Just because something is legal does not make it legitimate in the eyes of God. Can I tell you something? Gay marriage is not legitimate marriage. Gay marriage is not legitimate marriage. It is not a depiction of Christ in the church. It is not a depiction of the bride of Christ. It is a mockery of God's design. And while we are here, let me say this the church isn't doing a great bang-up job of a fantastic representation of what it means to be married either. It's not just a homosexual issue. It's also a heterosexual issue. I know this isn't popular preaching, but God still hates divorce. All right? God still hates divorce. I don't know who's all here today, and I don't know what your situation is, but I can tell you that you're here for a reason. I believe God has ordained people to be here this morning. God hates divorce. And I'll say this. Yes, in some instances, the Bible provides for it. God says, yeah, in some ways, hey, it's allowed. But the majority of reasons many Christians get divorced have nothing to do with biblical standards. Well, I deserve to be happy is not a reason for divorce. Why? Because none of us deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy is not a biblical reason for divorce. We just can't agree on anything. Not a reason for divorce. Biblically wrong, sin. I like that this one. I, I hear this all the time. I just don't love him or her anymore. Number one, that's because you're too in love with yourself. Come on number two that's not a reason for a divorce can we talk about historical marriage for the most part historical marriage uh they are not here today dang it i was going to use brace and rachel where's rachel rachel's here is bryce here that punk he's taking care of a kid for years historical marriage was not you meet someone you see somebody across the way or across the church you really know what i'm saying and you make eyes at them, and hey, how you doing? Right, and you go up to them, and you talk to them, and I see my wife over here. Hey, there, the Lord told me that you were my wife. Now she's my wife, in case anybody is never. But you know, we, we go on dates, and we we mingle, and we how many are single? ready to mingle, right? And so that's the view of dating. I'm telling. Who said who? Bobby said who. I'm not gonna have you like wave your hand, but she's over there. And single. But the view of marriage, of what leads to marriage, this is not isn't dating, it wasn't listen, it was arranged. Historically, for the most part, marriages were arranged by parents well before the people even knew each other or sometimes even saw each other. But yet marriage thrived. Why? Because people understood the sanctity of marriage. People understood they weren't just saying they loved somebody. People understood they were making a covenant with somebody. We are called in marriage not just to love our spouse, we are called to be in covenant with our spouse. What does that mean? Just because I'm not happy doesn't mean we break it away. Just because I don't love them anymore doesn't mean you break it away. What does it mean? You get back to basics and you learn how to love each other again as Christ has loved us. Amen? How can can people who love the Lord and at one time love each other fall apart? I don't know. Sin got in. Apathy got in. Acrimony got in. As a pastor and believer, I've seen other churches and ministries sweep this sin under the rug for far too long. And they would never dare mention it. But unless the divorce is happening for biblical reasons, it is sin. The Bible says in Malachi that the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. Does violence to the one he should protect. It's worth noting here The divorce stats show that married couples who attend church nearly every week together, they read their Bibles, their spiritual materials regularly, they pray together, they generally take their faith seriously, they're not perfect, but they're serious disciples. They enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than other church members. Those other church members, by the way, couples who identify as Christian but rarely attend church, 60% 60% of those have been divorced. 60%. Men, if you are not leading your families to church, you are putting your marriage in danger, and you are not protecting those God has put in your care. You are not protecting those God has put in your care. Drunkenness, jealousy, hatred, envy, we could go towards the whole list of sins, right? That which separates us from God, which leads us away from God, which separates us from his righteousness. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not given for you to engage in sin with no consequence. Rather, we are are covered by his grace and righteousness to enable us to refuse sin and run away from it towards righteousness. Amen? Galatians 5.22 says this, talks about we, when we're in Galatians 5, you see all this whole list of sins. And then it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit. Say the fruit of the Spirit. When we're in the Spirit, this will be the fruit that comes out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, being a living sacrifice. We have crucified our flesh, and now the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of our lives. With its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let me say that again. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The basics of our faith, right? Right? We are called to live in the Spirit. We are not called to give ourselves over to sin. We as believers are also not called to endorse or affirm sin. And it's in this directive that we come to our last look at what it means to live in the character of Christ. How many know the number one thing within the character of Christ throughout the Bible is love? All right? It's in this directive, we are called to love one another. We are called to love or affirm or endorse sin. Amen? In fact, to affirm, endorse sin is unloving. It's unloving to lead somebody away from righteousness. It's unloving to affirm somebody's lifestyle that is going to direct them towards hell. That's unloving. We are called to love one another. One minister said this Jesus loved all kinds of people sinners, marginalized people, tax collectors, the sick, women, children. In fact, he used to eat with notorious public sinners in order to guide them towards repentance. John 13, verse 34 through 35 says this A new command I give you love one another. I want you to look at your neighbor, say, Love one another. Some of you are having a hard time with that. Some of you are saying, I don't want to live in your neighbor. <laughs> love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That's how they know if we love one another. In case you're not sure what this means, God tells us this again in John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Say, love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, than he lays his life down for his friends. Now, in case you're still not sure, he tells us this again in 1 Peter 4.8. It says this. It says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Do we get the directive here? Do we understand? Do we understand what we are called to, to what we are called to do for those who are lost in sin and depravity? In case you still don't get it, in case you're still wondering what the directive is here, here's one more: Galatians five thirteen. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but rather than use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. It brings us to our last character trait of Jesus. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And how we as believers are not called to be served, we are called to serve. Matthew 20, verse 28. Is it in there? I don't know if I put it in the slides. It says, just as Jesus came to serve us, we are called to serve each other. It's in this we show that we love each other. Last week, I shared a bit of First Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter, in case you're not familiar with it. If you've been at almost any wedding anywhere, you've heard the love chapter. And I shared just a bit of it last week. But I want to share the rest of it this week. I want to share all of it. And as I speak the words and as you listen to the words, I pray, both for myself and for you, that we are known by this kind of love. Not just as a church, but as believers. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. The whole chapter says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I don't love, I become a, a noisy gong, a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I know all mysteries and all knowledge. or If I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions to charity, if I surrender my body so that I may have glory, but I do have love, it does me no good. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It's not provoked. It does not keep an account of the wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in righteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, they will be done away with. But we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, say the perfect. That's Christ. When when, When Christ returns, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly. Say dimly. We don't know it all. I know we like to, we like to pretend we do sometimes. But we don't know it all. God does. We see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then, say then. Then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith hope and love remain these three but the greatest of these is love if we were to go back to that fca statement we believe in a lifestyle and practice of ethical conduct and integrity consistent with the character of jesus christ and biblical standards how I many those should be the very basics of our faith the very basics of who we are as believers. I woke up this morning, and I normally don't do this. Um, truly, I, on Sunday mornings, I just kind of, I want to be free from social media and be free from distractions, and I don't normally turn the TV on, and I don't normally <laughs> get into all of that stuff before services because I want to go into a service with a clear mind. And... Um, for some reason this morning I just pulled up Facebook really quick and a friend of mine had posted something online and I became engrossed in it uh, they posted a video and I'm gonna play the video for you today uh, I didn't plan on this I didn't plan on uh, God kind of switching or shifting my sermon a little bit this morning but how do you know usually when it happens God's doing a good thing and so there was a, there was a man named by the name of Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen, if in case some of you may know who he is, some most of you may not. He's a Christian comedian. Um, most of you know I'm not a fan of Christian comedians for the most part, because I don't think they're funny, anyway, uh, But I did find this to be not just funny, but then really uh, spoke some really incredible truths. So if you would okay, care, go ahead and turn the lights off. And Mikey, go ahead and push play.
1: I am amazed at how many people stop me out in the hallway and ask me, is your wife aware of the way you talk about it? No. She thinks I'm a bricklayer. Well, honey, I'm off to Ohio to build another home. Well, God bless you with a wonderful woman. And uh, I gotta tell you, I was in an interview recently, uh, what is it I love most about my wife? that's one of those questions that sound on, on the surface a pretty banal uh, question and, and, and trite. And you give it some thought, and if every man would take the time to think about it, what does he love most about it? Well, certainly after 20 years. Um, I have to say that uh, this woman has seen just about every demon that I have to offer. I hope she's seen them all. And she still continues to lay next to me at night and, and professor her love for me. And you can't buy that. That is a, an absolute gift of grace from, uh, from a Another human being, and uh, it wasn't always. Uh, I, I remember somebody asked me, "How does an atheist from the South Side of Chicago wind up living in Nashville, Tennessee, as a born-again Christian, working churches?" I was at a church last night in New Albany, and imagine from from clubs like this, and from Vegas to and from the from City, and, and how do you wind up working churches? And uh, I got to tell you, 25 years ago, I started coming in Chicago, and this is the last the last place I expected ever be is in front of a church and uh, professing their faith in God, certainly. And what happened was I called in with Alcoholics Anonymous 17 years ago, and all I wanted to do was stop drinking. That was it. That was my goal in life, is to stop drinking and try to be a civil human being in my family. I was not a nice man. Trust me. Let's just say I was an angry, very, very cynical man. I'm just not nice. And I was harder on my family than anybody. I wasn't nice to many of you people, but I was harder on my wife and kids. And they told me to pray to a God, and they said, pray to this God. And I said, I don't believe in God. I they said, well, find something in this universe that's bigger than me. And I got to tell you, as broken as I was and beat up as I was, that was the hardest thing I had to do, was find something larger than me in the universe. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's, it's just how the human ego can be so large. And I could not get on my knees. I would not get on my knees and pray to anything. But God has his own plans. And I, I love the term, how of heaven. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's when God pursues his own. And he'll pursue you if he wants to. And the only, the only motivator he has for you to get to look heavenly and get on your knees is pain. Unfortunately, that's his only way to get your attention. And he took away everything that I thought I valued, everything. And after seven or eight years in that dream, and I read a lot of books. I read uh, all the self-help books I could get. I was, uh, you know, reading and reading and, and trying, trying to get a hand of something to make me a better human being. I really was. I was trying as hard I could. I went to therapy, talked to people about my anger, my rage, and all this stuff. And it just wasn't working. I went through my whole life trying to feel like I belong on this planet somewhere. And it just wasn't working. And God puts people in your life, and trust me, if you're on a journey, pay attention to the people that come. Even the guy that hits you with his car is maybe there for a reason. You know? And I met some interesting people when I look back on this. God put a man in my life. He was doing comedy for hundred bucks a week The guy was worth I don't know four or five, six million dollars, sold his business, made millions of dollars. Just wanted to go on the road and do comedy. He was 50 some years old. Wasn't a very good comedy. But he didn't have to be. I mean, he had all the money he ever needed. He's the only guy that we ever worked with was holding his job with a 450 SEL on Mercedes. I'm coming in on the Greyhound, you know? <laughs> I'm your headliner for the week. I make the big money. All right. But God knows his own, man. And he knew I wouldn't talk to this man. I, I was a shallow, vacuous, empty... I really was. And I didn't have anything to talk to this man about until I found out because of his wealth, he had access to some of the nicest golf courses in America. He was actually a member of the military, military And uh, that's all I needed to hear. He was my new best friend. What I didn't know about him was he was a fundamentalist Christian. And I didn't know that. I was sitting on the fairway one day just talking. We're talking about life. We're talking about this. We're talking about that. And then he brings up the Bible. And I said, I don't give you the Bible. Well, I don't know the Bible. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm an I don't believe in that. And he says, well, what is it about the Bible you don't think is true? And I said, I don't know, I never read it. And he said, well, you're not an atheist, you're a moron. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, I wouldn't hit him, except that I would have lost access to the news <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. And I asked him to explain himself, and he said, well, to be honest with you, a true atheist is not only a biblical scholar, but a scholarly in all the faiths of the earth. And after a long intellectual journey, they come to the conclusion that there is no God of the universe. You, on the other hand, want to circumvent the entire intellectual process and just come to the conclusion that there's no God. That's lazy and moronic. I didn't know what to say. So at the end of the week, he said to me, there's a guy in Benton, Texas, a man named Thomas, and he said, he teaches the Bible the way I think he would like to talk. And i would and, and, uh, yeah, like to sign up for some study tapes. And I said, Will it cost anything. And he said, nope. Uh, and I said, well, then knock yourself out. I'm not paying a nickel for that. And then he said, can I send you a Bible? And I said, hey, I've tried reading. And believe me, I did. I opened them up another time. I had read somewhere that the Bible was the living, breathing word of God. I didn't get it. i opened it up, looked at it, come on. Yeah, do something for me. I, read, I couldn't get it. I didn't understand it. So he sends me the tape, sends me the Bible, time goes by, and God implodes your, my life. He's imploding my life. My marriage is falling apart. I couldn't deal with my life. I, honestly, I tried. I, I, I'm telling you, if there was a book out there that I could have read that would have given me the tools that I needed to function in this life, I would have gotten it because I, I have I had stacks of them, and I couldn't figure out how to make my wife happy. That was all I wanted is to make her happy. I quit. We quit fighting. If you think acrimony is bad in your marriage, wait till you get to apathy. Apathy is the absolute worst. It's not even a feeling. It's just this we couldn't even deal with each other in the hallway. We would like sneak by each other and 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 we're sleeping in the same bed and I'm reading and and my back is to her. She's watching TV and she would read, I'd watch TV. I mean this is my life together. And somehow we're we're getting through day to day, but I don't know how. And we're in a parking lot the Toys are Us. And she says, you want a divorce? That's what she said to me. You want a divorce? We're buying toys for Christmas. And that's how she said it. As if you want to take out the trash. We've gotten to a point in our marriage where there's no emotion, there's no life, there's no nothing. We're soul dead people. And she looks at me and says, you want a divorce? This is the most life offering decision a man and woman will ever make. You know, the culture wants to tell us that it doesn't mean anything. Just go to get, get your divorce, just pray painless, and move on with your life. It doesn't work that way. It is the most painful. When the Bible says you're one flesh, it is literally, that's what it feels like. And that's what we went through. We basically went through the pain of ripping our flesh apart. And this is what she asked me. You want to, and all I could think to say was the yeah, that's what you wanted. I turned the kind back out. That was how we decided to get a divorce. I mean, I was back in the time, and I just thought, wow! Who were those people? We now, we look at that and we go, who were those people? But God has to move you to a place, a place where you can pay attention. It has to all go away. You have to give it all up before he can work the restoring process. So I went home, and it says in the Bible, if Satan attempts for evil, God will use for good. My biggest character flaw is procrastination. And Tanya put it on me to fill out the divorce (laughs) papers. And it wasn't like, you know, if you had anything to sell, which I figured, you know, I'll fill them out. But I got thank you cards from 1988, I had a mail, you know? So. so I just went home, and I said, yeah, okay, we'll get around to it. And I moved into the guest room, you know? And this is how we were living. I'd go on the road with my college, and I'd come in and moved into the guest room, and, you know, raising these kids, and, and we're, we're existing. And as God would have it, he moves this woman into my wife's side. My wife shows up for a living, and she's at a dog show, and this battered woman shows up. She's just beat. and Kenny says, you can't go back to that man. And, and, and she says, i got nowhere else to go. And Kenny says, well, we have a guest room. <laughs> she gives the woman my room, and i got to move back into the bedroom. And now we have a chance. This is an opportunity now. We have given up. We have let go of everything, and now we're going to talk. And believe me, it was difficult. I, there was a point after a couple of nights I looked at her; She wouldn't even look at me. I was talking to her back for two days. I didn't you know I'd say something. And she, she, I finally walked over across the room and put my hands on her shoulders. And she, she, she's just she's not I I can't. I said, will you look at me? said, like, can't. How do you get to a place in your life with someone that you love? I know I love this woman. So I know I do. I had therapists tell me I love her. For God's sakes, I love this woman, and we're at a point we can't even look at each other. She said, like, I can't. I just, Jeff, just, I just fill out those papers. I just want to get this, I might give it away. And that was what I could just okay. I went out in the kitchen and I was throwing them out. And there's nothing to give away. We lost it all in the bankruptcy. We lost it all, everything. Well, on the way to divorce We to file the papers a few days later, whatever papers 10 minutes from filing the papers in Maricopa County, the endless part of our lives. And that little voice, that little quiet voice that God puts in us. And sometimes we have to shut the TVs off and the stereos off and all the other things off to hear it. But it said something to my wife. I don't know what it said. Or I know she's took all the and I used to watch. I got to rethink this. This is a two-year process, man. Two years of letting go of this woman. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I don't know if any man in this room knows what it's like to wake up in the morning with so so much anxiety. As soon as your eyes pop open, it's just like the world caves in on you. And you walk around and you just want to know where it's coming from. I said it would be so much easier if I woke up in the morning and some man just started beating me with a stick. At least I knew where the pain was coming from. And people would go, why are you so miserable? Because he keeps hitting me. My wife would ask me, why are you so miserable? And I'd go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be. No. He goes, Why can't you enjoy your job? I go, I don't know. What's the point? What is the point? Don't you care? There's a point. There's a purpose to this? My wife would go, no. I just want my family. Ten minutes from the divorce church, she's before. do I want to it. And I said, babe, if you're in this room for the long haul, I can't, I can't play on this anymore. I can't. Let's just cut it and go. She said, no, I don't know why, I don't know why, we know why now, but we didn't know why. But anyway, we go home, Eight months goes by. it's not getting much better, it's getting a little better, it's not much, she comes to me, she says, I'm going to Ohio with the kids, and I said, you can't afford to go to Ohio. She says, you're not in And I said, well, how are you gonna get this? And my father's gonna pay for the trip, we're taking the boys, and we're going for the summer. She says, well, I'm going to get your life together. I'm coming home on the 40th birthday, and I'm coming, and I had no clue, I had no idea. I went to Domino's teacher to get a job, to deliver pizzas and they wouldn't hire me. We're not talking about humble. You're a 40-year-old man with a mortgage and kids and wife and then you figure, I'm lowering myself to get this job. And the kid looks at my application and says, Comedian. That's it? That's the only job you've And I said, yeah. What do you want me to do? And I said, we're not splitting ads. We're delivering (laughs) pizzas. Apparently my interviewing skills have suffered over the years. (laughs) But it was like, my God, don't make me beg for a job keep delivering pizzas.
0: I go home and tell my wife
1: I'm unemployed. I can't take it anymore. Anyway, she packs the kids up. And before she leaves, she grabs these tapes that I've been collecting. And she puts them in a pile. And she says, you need to listen to these things and so I'm throwing them on. And again, I had no reason to say, keep them. I haven't listened. I haven't even thought about them in a the year and a half, two years. I don't know. i just been collecting them and throwing them on. Even not, and that little voice, the little quiet voice, said, I'm leaving them. Put these on the floor. I'll just don't here, you know a few days was by walking by the case, so you know, and I said, you know, no, voice I broke a And I said, okay, I start to walk, and my boy says, for what? There's nothing in there for it. Nothing. And then that starts the whole dialogue of what's in there, I want to get it, I want to get it. When I read about demonic realms and the angelic realms in, in the Bible, I, I went right back to this moment in my life, because it was a struggle to get in there, because something knew what was in them things. And I ripped one open. I finally got over it for five minutes. I 40 years old and I had an argument with myself the myself. I used to say, that's why I got drunk in the morning. It was self-control. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I am nuts, I don't know, but I'm trying to get into this, and I rip one off, and I throw them on the floor, and I, and I, and I, and I go not There's a couple tapes. Right. and tapes. suffocating, am I do do that. Pick one up, please, yes, and I could not even pronounce it, please, five, or whatever, I'm trying. I'm, trying. I'm trying to get that Bible, what was that Bible, oh, I was in the junk drawer, so I pulled the Bible out of the junk drawer, I put the tape into the machine, and I started listening to this pastor from Denton, Texas, talk about the silence, um, Solomon, this, this wise old man, 78 years old, wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life about life on earth. And it starts out with meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. That got my attention. Boom. Because that's the way I felt. I couldn't find anything worth meaning in this, in this earth. Really, nothing. Not a career, not my wife, not my kids, not my child, not my home, nothing. And he starts talking about it. And basically Solomon's conclusions were that life without God will have no meaning. And I didn't understand that. And he began to explain about the creation. In order to enjoy the creation, you have to know the one who created it. And and, and if happiness were an act of will, we'd all be happy. Because that's basically what we want out of life. Everybody wants to be happy. You ask them. So if it was an act of human will, why aren't we happy? We're the most medicated species on the planet. We really are. And all it is, what I found out, what he said, was something has to come outside of us, inside of us. Change our hearts. And then work its way out to the act of service to others. And I was blown away. For the first time in my life, I heard something that made sense. And I believe it was because that day God chose to turn it on inside me. That was the lights that bang it went on. And I was like, wow, this, this is it. This is what I was looking for. I wanted purpose. I wanted some reason to get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. And then I said, without well, God in heaven, no, well, how do I get So I another tape, put another tape, another tape, another tape, because I'm a compulsive addictive personality. I was just i mean i'm not kidding man and i'm making notes in my bible and i'm going like man this is the greatest stuff i've ever heard at one point i wanted to run on my lawn and hold the bible have you read this thing wow what a book
0: man it's amazing wow. and i don't
1: know it was 40 years or whatever. I mean, this was a 13 year journey up to this point. I'm not telling you. This did not come overnight. I didn't get the road to Damascus epiphany that Paul got. I'm telling you, man, I saw this. And I went out and I laid in fetal position. They to go to the desert, shame up a God. All right, if you're up there, show me. You know? And I mean, it was today, that day, bang. And I'm listening to these tapes, and then he gets to the, the Jesus that he knew. The one he says, he says, he, says, he was in a prison. I'll never forget this line. I love this line. He was at a prison doing a sermon, and he said to the prisoners in this prison, he said, I would not walk across this stage to tell you about my religion, Christianity, but I would crawl on my hands and knees to broken glass to hell and back to tell you about the love of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I heard that as a man. As a man, I said, that's what I want. I want something. I want something that I want to die for. I would believe this, that a man is not—and I'm talking about men, I'm not a woman, but I'm a man. And I said, a man is not fully alive, but he has something in his life that he's willing to get his life up for. And I'd like to think I'd give my life up for my wife and kids, but I'll tell you something. I'll give my life up now for my Savior and my righteous professor's Savior because I'm trying to transform my life.